0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Stew with JT Brew on Dynasty Pro's football YouTube channel. I'm your host, Justin Taylor. Week 4 college football season coming up. We've got all your bets, all the big games we're going to talk about and some of our favorite bets. Make sure to stick with us. You are in the stew.
1: Uh, you up on trades and why you move. You ain't designed to lose. Find you jumping over seemingly nothing. Racking up points makes the game a little more fun to watch. Can drop release. We started with the mock draft and now we making a mockery of the leaderboard. Quite obviously not a scrub. to so start an institute. Make evaluations like a commission to do. It's to the point your wife make you watch in a different room. Update your your are rostering, picking choose when you get some news. Not much that we enjoy more than sipping proof. Sifting through those statistics to make it to our end zones Through different groups. Universities, institutes, down to homies who so click in groups. I introduce. You the stew with
0: JT Thanks for checking us out here in the stew. I'm JT along with my guest today, James Gurrell from the Dynasty Pros crew. Great to have you on, James. Thanks for coming on. Excited to talk college football betting. Week four is here Kind of to give everybody a little idea about yourself, how you got into college football, and and, and why you love uh, college football so much.
1: Yeah, so um, got into college football. Um, I guess really, if we want to throw it that far back, originally with the uh, Vince Young, you know, USC Texas national championship game. Um, that game actually is what led me to be a Titans fan. But then later in life, you know, spent some uh, spent some time at West Virginia for college. Uh, being around that game day atmosphere is really kind of what got me hooked. Um and since then, I mean I've been uh I've been putting uh putting some plays in on college football for several years now. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. um love it every time we get a good Saturday card like this.
0: Yeah, Punta, not a ton of big games last week, just a few, few bye weeks, uh, not a lot of big head head games. But this week, totally different story, which is why we're going to jump right into it because we got a lot to talk about on this episode of the Stew. Big ACC matchup. This one could have conference winner implications on it. Clemson versus Florida state minus two and a half for the Noles over unders 55 and a half. Tell me kind of what your thoughts are coming into this one.
1: Yeah. So I think this is a really interesting game. Um, mostly because of the way Clemson kind of laid an egg in week one against Duke. Um, I think that at face value, um, you kind of, a huge ranked game at Memorial stadium in Clemson. Uh, it's really kind of hard to shy away from Clemson there. Um, since 2015, they're 12 and 0 in home games versus ranked opponents. Um, but they're obviously not the Clemson teams of old, right? There's, there's some issues that we're working through. Cade club. Nick is still a little bit of an unknown. Um, and then on the other side, you know, with Florida state, um, got made even more interesting by kind of the egg that they laid in, in Boston college, almost getting upset, uh, last week. Um, and there are some various factors for that, but I think that the biggest thing in this game is going to be, uh, kind of the battle of the explosive plays Clemson's defense is top 40 in the country at limiting, um, plays of 20 or more yards. Uh, and that's where kind of Florida state's offense makes its nest and, and likes to play They're third in the country. Uh, So far this year through three games, they've had 18 offensive touchdowns. Eight of them have gone for 20 or more yards. Um, And Jordan Travis, if you look at the heat map, is kind of really favors outside the hashes. Likes to go deep and outside to his bigger receivers with Coleman and Johnny Wilson. So I think that's going to be a really interesting battle to see play out um, in this game.
0: Yeah, if you would have told me two weeks ago, this is going to be two and a half Florida State. I would have hammered Florida State in this game. I've been like, they're going to hammer Clemson. This isn't going to be close. But the fact that it's at Death Valley, you, you can never underestimate going on the road to those atmospheres. I did it last week, made a huge mistake. I thought Tennessee was just going to put it to Florida. And that oh swamp that the Vols just <laughs> can't win. They cannot win down there, and Florida had one big quarter, and that's all it took to get that game, even though Tennessee looked better most of the game. Florida had one big quarter, and that's all they needed. So that's got me a little bit worried in this game. And then you you brought it back to Boston College last week. Florida State got up 31-10 to 10 in that game. I couldn't figure out what happened. I went back rewatched re-watched that game after it was over on a replay. They got 31-10, to 10, and it's like they just quit playing. Florida State just got disinterested. It's like they thought they had it in the bag. This is another easy win. And then Boston College just kept hammering them, hammering them, a couple big plays, got a score, went for two. Honestly, Boston College probably should have beat them. They missed an extra point, had to go for two later. If they wouldn't have missed the extra point, they would have had a chance to tie it early on. Uh, at the end of the game, as supposed to have to go for two. So now I'm a little bit worried about Florida State. This is a team I've been touting all year. I put a preseason bet in that they would make the final that they'd make the playoffs. I thought they could go undefeated this year. I thought the big test would be LSU. If they got by LSU, I thought this Clemson game is the only other game on their schedule I can see them possibly losing because it's at Clemson. And Clemson has not impressed me at all so far. Clay Klubnick has been very iffy. I know people in the Debbie circles are are jumping ship on him real quick uh it, this is just a scary game if it was at florida state i think i'm taking florida state no doubt in my mind i'm all over it but i'm i'm like i'm a little 50-50 here with a b and death valley with the fact that florida state hasn't played where well there and then the fact that clemson has not played great but all they got to do is win this one If they play out of their mind in this game and beat Florida State, it changes everything in the ACC. If you just put me up against it, you said, hey, who are you taking? I'm taking Florida State. I'm either going money line or I'm taking the two and a half. Um, But I felt a lot more confident about it a week ago.
1: Yeah, and and one thing I think that's really interesting with uh, Florida State is – Everyone kind of talks about the massive win against LSU in week one, but there's some factors there that maybe make that win not as convincing as the general public wants to to think it is. Um, so the first one, the biggest one for me is um, a lot of that second half blowout of LSU was basically LSU shooting itself in the foot. I mean, twice they got down within the 10 yard line and fumbled the ball away. Um, those are, you know, scoring drives that completely change the game if they manage to punch it in there. Um, and I think the other thing that kind of goes, um, a little under the radar with that game is it's effectively a Florida state home game. I mean, I know it's, you know, a neutral site in the camping world stadium in Orlando, but I mean, that's, you know, that's basically a Florida state home game, um, so I think that's a little interesting. You know, this Florida State team reminds me of, of one of those programs that that kind of pop up every so often where on paper, they're just so unbelievably talented. You look at the roster and you're like, how is this team not going to win the national championship? Uh, but one of those teams that with all that talent seems to kind of struggle to get up week after week. Uh, it seems like they, you know, last week, definitely for sure, seems like they took their foot off the gas, played down to the competition. Um, so that's, that would be a little concern of mine coming in here. I know this is a big game. You should, I mean, if you're any kind of respectable athlete, you should have no problem motivating yourself for this one. But I think as the season wears on, that's going to be something to keep an eye out with Florida state, how they kind of handle those trap spots and those, uh, you know, we should beat this team by 40. Let's just go in and roll type of games. I'll, I'll be real interested to see how that plays out as the season progresses.
0: Next game on the slate for us, Texas A&M versus Auburn minus seven and a half over under 52 and a half. What are your thoughts on this SEC mashup?
1: Uh, so I think that this is going to be kind of one of those games where um, it's more of a battle of wills. Uh, Auburn obviously is a very, very run heavy lean on the defense kind of team. I think they've only thrown through three games, 31 passing attempts. Um, but I think that, the flip side of that, right, is like you can't play that kind of game, especially on the offensive side of the ball, if you get out or if the opponent gets out to a big lead. And where AM has been really good is uh passing efficiency. Uh Wegman's really looked clean and sharp so far, maybe with a couple of plays here and there, exception in the Miami game, but um he's kind of is showing the potential to be the quarterback that Tamu needed the last several years when they've had those stellar defenses and a Shane and all those guys. Um, So I think it's going to be more about can a and M kind of force Auburn into that one dimensional, you know, play from behind game that they're not exactly great at and don't want to play. Um, And I think that what's interesting is that, um, the battle in the trenches is kind of going to decide that because as we mentioned auburn you know loves to run the football they're currently top 5 in the country in offensive rushing success rate on standard downs but on the flip side of that is uh, a&m is also top 20 in defensive um rushing success rate on standard downs so it's going to be a really interesting battle to see when auburn has the ball can they can they do what they want to do and keep this game in a spot where they can continue running or are they going to kind of get Tossed around a little bit here when, uh, if AM gets out to a lead early in the game,
0: yeah. For me, it's really interesting because Auburn hasn't played anybody, their biggest competition is Cal. I don't, I'm not, I'm not a Cal believer at all. They won that game 14 to 10 at Cal. Uh, the only game either one of these teams have played, only good team either one of these teams have played is Miami, and then Miami pretty much put it to Texas AM. So, this is a game. In all honesty, I'm avoiding because I just don't know who either of these teams are right now. I feel like if you had to take somebody, I'm, I'm probably on a and I think they've got more talent. I think they're a better team than Auburn and being at home, I like it. I definitely would buy the hook and get this down to seven or six and a half if I had to. I'm not taking the seven and a half because it feels like this could be a close game. Uh, but these are two teams – For the most part, I'm avoiding the next couple weeks until I can feel until I feel more comfortable about who they actually are going to be this year because they just not play great, uh, great teams and it just it feels like all those games were games they should win. And okay, they did look good in point at points, but they should look good. Against those teams, against Sanford, against those type of schools, New Mexico. I mean, so <laughs> right now those are. It's just that's a tough one for me, and you never know in the SEC, uh, especially was the first one for each of these teams. So this is one I'm avoiding. But like, like you said, I'd probably go in Texas A&M with a home advantage and all that at this point. If I had to jump in on a game like this,
1: right? And to, to that point, I mean, I, I'm with you. I'm uh, I'm kind of off this one. I'm not really touching this. Um, but here for, for people that do want to kind of side with A&M, here's an interesting little nugget for you is, uh, Jimbo Fisher as coach of Texas A&M is 14 and six, uh, against the spread when he's favored at home by more than a touchdown. So
0: that's a great stat. I I just said, if I had to lean away, I'm leading Texas A&M, especially because they got the home field advantage there. We're going to jump in just because this is uh we just talked to SEC. Let's go another SEC game real quick. Alabama Old Miss, this one is minus seven currently, over under 55 and a half. Alabama announcing this week they're going back to Jalen Milrow at QB after the one-game experience with Tyler Buckner. This one's got me confused. I mean, Mississippi he has looked fantastic at times. At times, they have not looked good. Quinshot Judkins, they've been having a hard time getting him going. Alabama, you know, four- and five-star guys all over the field, but they kind of seem like a mess on offense. Kind of where's your head at uh, going into this game?
1: Uh, So with this one, what I think is really interesting is that we already have a data point uh, for the Bama defense about how they might handle a quarterback like this. So, Jack, you know, to your point, right, Quinshawn Judkins hasn't looked like who we expect him to be. But the flip side of that is that Jackson Dart has. So he's really shown some true dual threat ability so far through three games. And it's not, I mean, they haven't played fantastic competition, but, you know, they haven't also played, you know, FCS bottom of the barrel schools. Um, and I think that in that Texas game, um, Quinn Ewer has kind of had his way in. Uh, eight plays that game of 15 plus yards for Texas, including two touchdowns that went for longer than 20 yards. Um, And with Jalen Millrell coming back, we don't really know yet if Alabama can effectively throw the ball downfield and keep up in a track meet kind of game. It seems like they would prefer to kind of run the ball methodically and take their shots when they, when they come. Um, And very similar to the Auburn game. It's like, Mississippi's defense hasn't been fantastic, but uh, two stats where they kind of excel. They're inside the top 50 in the country and havoc rate, uh, which, for those that don't know, that's basically the summation of tackles for loss, pass breakups, forced fumbles, and interceptions over the course of a 60 minute game, um, as well as in the top 50 in defensive stuff rate on uh, standard down rushing plays. And Alabama ranks outside the top 70 in the country in uh, defensive havoc allowed. So it's going to be really interesting to see if this Mississippi defense that uh, struggled with a team like Tulane um, can kind of get into the backfield, make some tackles for loss, kind of force Alabama to say, if we're going to win this game, it's going to be on Milrow's arm. Um, I think that's going to be a very interesting thing to see play out.
0: Yeah, this one's a tough one for me as I look at it. Is you know, Ole Miss they're just right now they seem like they're that type of team that they just put it to the not very good teams. But every time they get stacked against an, a tough SEC team, they just don't have enough horses. So it's like it's like yeah, they look really good. You see Jackson Dart, you see Quinshawn Jenkins. They run that high up tempo offense. They look great, and then they get in an SEC game against a powerful defense. It's like everything falls apart. So. My mind, I'm looking at this and I, I just looking at the points scored, looking at kind of the talent it screams over to me, but then also I'm like, man, does Alabama's defense just come out and just clamp down Ole Miss? Does this end up being old school SEC football where they slow them down enough and, and, and it doesn't get into that 55, 56 range. You would kind of think it would. That's the toughie for me in this one. I, I, I think Alabama wins this game. They're at home. I, Ole Miss has not proven that they can go on the road in the SEC and take out a big dog. Until they do that, I just can't bet on them in this game. I just can't. If I'm on Ole Miss almost at all this year, I've been betting overs every time just because of the way they play, the pace of play, how they do things. Jackson Dart is, like you said, been everything that everyone's been asking him to be for the last couple of years. He's right. finally looked like he's that guy. He's finally looked like he's putting it all together. Now, can he do it against an unbelievably tough Alabama defense? I mean, Quinn Ewers played out of his mind to put up 34 against, you know, Alabama. Can Jackson Dart put it on his shoulders to do it? I don't know. This one's a toughie for me. I'm probably taking Bama at the minus seven if I had to. I Everything screams to me that I should be taking the over with these teams, but I just don't feel confident at all that this doesn't end up being where all of a sudden Mississippi comes out and they put up 14 and everybody's like, what happened? What happened to their offense? Right. And you're just like, Oh, Bama D Bama D gets you again. They're just so talented. <laughs> you just never know. You know, like their offense was a, just shambles last week and it was 17 to three. And you never felt like it was really in danger because their dog, their defense just dominated. So this is a scary one for me. Number 13 versus number 15. It's probably going to see a lot of action. If you, if, if you force my hand, I'm taking minus seven Bama at home. I think Bill Rose got something to prove. I think he's going to come out and I just think this Bama's offense is, is too much for what Ole Miss has on defense.
1: Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think I'm, um, I'm, I mean, I'm off this one too. I don't have uh, action on this game. I think if, like you were saying, right, if I was forced into taking a pick um, in a game that's this close with this many question marks on for both teams on both sides of the ball, I think I would have to lean towards the points. I would feel so much more comfortable about it, buying the hook and taking it up to seven and a half. Uh, but this is this is one where I think there's just a- any angle you can take on it to say, hey, the minus seven or the plus seven's good. You can also find conflicting angles to tell you why it's not. So I just don't think that there's enough definitive data for this one for there to be a truly value play here.
0: I agree with you 100%. Now let's talk about America's team. The new team, the Colorado Buffaloes, Prime Primetime. Everybody's excited about them. I keep telling everybody I'm a Colorado fan, not in general, but I just I'm pulling for prime. Also, my niece is a freshman at, at Boulder. She is just loving it. She said the excitement out there has been crazy. I uh, for her graduation present, I gave her an old koi Detmer. Number 14 Colorado <laughs> jersey. I had in high school. She wore it to the game last week for good luck. They ended up coming back and beat Colorado State. So again, I have my little bit of my own personal feelings involved there. So this is this is the game. This is what everyone's been talking about. They finally get a big time matchup. Oregon Pac-12, one of the favorites. I mean, this game. I could go so many ways and I would believe every way you tell me it's going to go. I just think it's so crazy right now. It's minus 20 and a half Oregon over under is 71 and a half. You give me your feelings on kind of where you think this thing might go. Uh,
1: So first off, that's awesome (laughs) that the, uh, the old Coy Detmer jersey is what sparked the comeback. A little good luck last week. That's awesome. Um, I wish nothing for good, but good things for Colorado this year. Um, love Dion as a coach. I think he's incredible. I love the persona he has and the way he's kind of all about the players. Um, Unfortunately, I think they get blasted in this one. Um, I think that through three games, Colorado's thing has been their ability to create explosive plays on third and long. Uh, They always seem to find themselves in third and long, The big concern in the preseason was that I don't know that the line is big enough. These players that Dion's bringing over, I don't know that they're of the physical stature to be able to compete with these power five, you know, five-star recruits, yada, yada. Um, And that that's kind of been correct. I mean, if you look at the first game against TCU, they ended up winning by three points, 48, 45, um, TCU's defense is a complete clown show this year. Um, There was, you know, even in those, right, like third and 13s, third and 15s, third and 10, Colorado's consistently moving the chains there. Um, But Colorado's defense also isn't exactly the the greatest unit in the country. And they just lost their best player on both sides of the ball. Um, Oregon, meanwhile, is just firing on all cylinders. Uh, Bo Nix is... Commanding that offense, like I haven't seen Bo Nicks run an offense either at Oregon or Auburn. Um, It just feels like one of those games where the hype is influencing, the outside noise is influencing the perception of Colorado more than what the data wants you to believe. Um, I'm just really, I'm really struggling with figuring out how especially without Hunter, Colorado does enough on early downs first and second down to be able to stay anywhere near the number. Um, I I have uh, 20 and a half on Oregon on this one um, and I I could see something like my take if I if I'm looking for a final score, I'm thinking something in the ballpark of between 44 and 50 to maybe 20 to 24-ish, something like that. Um, I I just think it's going to be, especially without Hunter, it's just going to be too difficult to both keep the chains moving the way that they've been doing for three games now, as well as slow down Bo Nix enough for that 21, you know, plus 21 to come into play. Um, There's, there's just too many, too many question marks with this Colorado team against far too superior of a program right now.
0: Yeah. For me in this one, if you're, if I'm betting, I like the 20 and a half. I think that's uh, that's a good bet. You know, I want to bet I wanna bet Colorado. I just don't think they have enough. So I I think I'm jumping the over in this game. I know 70 is just an ungodly number. I mean, that is so high at 70 and a half. But if you look at these teams combined right now, they're averaging 99 points a game combined offensively. I just think I think Colorado's going to put up points. Playing from behind, but I think there's no way that this defense slows down Oregon. I don't think there's any way they slow them down. My prediction earlier in the week, I had Colorado covering. I had 52-35 as a Oregon win. I think that might be a little close. I think it might be a little farther out than that. I could see them losing by three scores, but I could also see them hitting a late backdoor cover with a late touchdown because I don't think Prime's going to give up. I think he'll keep guys in there and they'll keep trying to score because the closer they can make the score look, the better it is for him and the better it is for his guys. And they put up stats. So I'm jumping on the over in this game. And usually, if you see 70s, I, I'm avoiding that at all costs. Because you're like, man, everything has to go right on offense to get in the 70s. But to me, both these teams have absolutely every capability of scoring in the 30s pretty reasonably. And Oregon can put up 50 against this Colorado team. So that's oh, yeah. where I'm taking the 70 because I could easily see this even being 52-21. So say Colorado scores two less touchdowns than I predicted, it still goes over. I, and I don't see how Colorado's defense holds Oregon under 49, 50 points. I really don't. I think I think Oregon's going to light them up. And so I think Colorado will do enough on offense to keep moving that spread up. I'm going to take the 70, 70 and a half. I, I always hate the half. If I can get rid of the hook, I'll take it. If it's not too much on it. But I think I'm taking the over. If you can get this one down to 69, I'm taking the over 69. Now, now, some books on these games will let you push that uh, over-under. Some of them won't. Some of them in the college game, you kind of stuck with what you get. But take a look and see if, if your book lets you change them. I'd push down to 69, and I would feel really, really confident about an over-69 in this game.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think if you wanted to play total here, over is probably the way to go. Um, I think that a big stat that leads to that too, to your point, right. Talking about kind of backdoor and playing from behind Colorado's going to kind of have to air it out a little bit and just do what they can to put points on the board. Um, I think 50, you know, 45, 50 is very reasonable for Oregon because um, you know, I I mentioned havoc rate a lot and with the explanation of what it is, right? Like if you can't, if you can't create those kind of chaos plays where the offense just has to make something happen and you're just going to, allow them to run at will or let the quarterback stand back there and have all the time in the world. I mean, DBs are only so good at any level, even in the NFL, right? They're only so good. They can only cover for so long and uh, Colorado is outside the top 100 in havoc on both sides of the ball defensively and offensively while Oregon's offense sits inside the top 10 in the country in havoc. So I think it's going to be one of those things where, um, if Colorado wants to stand a chance, they're kind of going to have to realize that we need to go for gold on every single possession. Uh, Cause Oregon's can just going to have their way on offense and put up points at will. And I think that's that lends to that overplay you're talking about.
0: Sticking in the pack 12, let's talk about Utah UCLA it's minus four and a half right now, 50 and a half over under Utah seems like, if they can get offense, if Cam Rising come back, this team's going to be tough because I think they by far have the best defense in the Pac-12. I think they're the only team with a legit defense in the Pac-12. Uh, what are your thoughts on this game?
1: Uh, so, my two key thoughts on this one—again, uh, another game that I'm not—I'm not on. Um, but my two key thoughts when breaking down this one are first and foremost, uh, Cam Rising. Um you know, coming off the surgery in the offseason, uh reports were saying that this was the game that they were targeting. The uh the, the opening of the Pac-12 slate was when they wanted to try to get Cam rising back. Uh, as of right now, reports have him as questionable. So maybe he plays, maybe he doesn't. And I think that um if you're a Utah backer here, if that's the side you want to take, um four isn't an awful number without Cam Rising. If you can get it at four and then it's announced that he's playing, this line should probably be something like seven, seven and a half. So there's a lot of value there if you think that uh, Cam Rising can end up playing. Uh, But the other one that I think is going to be real key in this game is the third down battle. So uh, when UCLA has the ball, UCLA's offense and Utah's defense are both inside the top fifty in the country in third down uh, conversion and stop percentage, respecti- respectively. Uh, but when Utah has the ball, both units—UCLA's U- uh, defense and Utah's offense—are well outside the top one hundred in conversion and stop. So I think that uh, that you know third and longs so those. That- And can can Utah's defense do enough to take UCLA off the field? There's a number on this one.
0: Yeah, Dante Moore, the freshman quarterback for UCLA, has been impressive so far this year. 62% passing, 615 yards, seven touchdowns and a pick. But he has not played anywhere near a defense as good as Utah. Nowhere near it. So it's going to be really interesting to see what this UCLA offense, which has looked pretty solid but they have not played any good defenses yet. Uh, San Diego state's by far the toughest defense they played and they're, they're an okay. Unit this year compared to what they've been in the last couple years. So this one's this one. I'm, I'm the same as you. I'm staying off this game. I just, I don't know if I, I don't trust UCLA enough. I haven't seen enough out of them and I like the Utah defense. That makes me lean Utah. If cam rising was hundred percent healthy and playing, I think I'm all over Utah, but their backups QBs, they've basically been playing two guys back and forth. That always makes me nervous as a better. You never know where they're (laughs) going to go with that. And so I'm probably avoiding this game. Um, Man, with Utah's defense, and it's always crazy in college football because you never know with turnovers and everything else, the 52-and-a-half, I might go the under in this game only because if you look at the way they played so far, they gave up 11 points to Florida, 13 points to Baylor, and seven to Weber State. So, so far, their defense has been absolutely dominating, has not given up two touchdowns yet this year. Um, they've scored 24-20-31. And the defense has set him up on a lot of those scores. And the Florida game, you know, honestly, the 70-yard touchdown run off the bat helped. So if I if I had to go one way, I'm leaning the under in this game. If I feel like I gotta put a bet on this game, I'm going under. I just think I think there's a chance that UCLA could could get in that like 14-17 point range, but I could easily see this game being like 2017, you know, some 21 16, somewhere in that range. So I would jump on the under. Uh, if it was me in this game, I'm scared of the points. It feels like it's going to be a close game, but I give the advantage to Utah though.
1: I, uh, I'd have to agree with that. Um, I think that, so the the reason I'm not on this game is there's just not, I like to make my bets with uh, a lot more data than kind of just feeling, or in this case, what I'm about to mention, kind of just pure gambling um, where, mm like you mentioned, a true freshman quarterback, right? They haven't played anyone yet, but on the road in Salt Lake City, a a ranked matchup against this defense. um, I'm not sold that a true freshman can come in and not get blinded by the lights. Um, And I think that the other part of why I would possibly lean Utah, if you felt inclined to take a side, is their resume is just better. I mean, UCLA's uh-huh. played nobody but uh despite how you feel about them, wins over Florida and Baylor, two power five teams who um have enough going for them both this year and historically to like we we're talking about the Tennessee game, right? Like create matchup problems and create some some games and some results that you might not think. They're not pushover teams. And I, I think that Utah is just a lot more battle-tested. Um Utah's kind of funny to say this short into the season, but been there, done that compared to UCLA with the true freshman, I I think that this is going to be a kind of a brand new environment for that team and that quarterback.
0: Let's stick with the PAC 12. This is the kind of left behind bowl, Oregon state versus Washington state. The two teams that just kind of got left in the cold out in the PAC 12 with everything breaking down. They weren't happy about it. Nobody seemed to want them. Big battle here, minus three, over, under 56 and a half. I've loved what I've saw, I've seen out of Oregon State so far. The Beavers' defense has looked good. Damian Martinez is one of my favorite running backs in all of college football. Size, speed, agility. He's a guy. Uh, it's like, and then DJ, ex-Clemson uh, quarterback, all of a sudden – Man, the guy looks so much better. He's not in Clemson. So is it a Clemson problem instead of him? I don't know. Washington State is known for that high-powered offense. Uh, they try to run the ball a little bit more this year. Kind of give me your thoughts on the uh, the left-behind left, left behind, uh, big 12, uh, Pac-12 teams here with Oregon State, Washington State.
1: Oh man, I could break this one down for hours. This is actually uh so this is a, a bet I have on my card. It's one of my favorite bets on my card. Full disclosure is I did buy the hook. So I took the uh, 10 cents on the dollar to come off the three to two and a half for Oregon state. Um, so the way that I believe this game should play out, I think the key to this game is going to be, can DJU not, you know, kind of get blinded by the stage that we've seen that happen when he was at Clemson. There were some games, some kind of some big road games where Clemson was a heavy favorite, and he kind of came in and just didn't play the way he needed to play for them to get the win. Uh, The way this game should go. So Oregon State, they're just absolute monsters in the trenches. Uh, Top five in havoc on both sides of the ball. Top 12 in yards per play. Um, top 12 in adjusted line yards, but they're outside the top 80 in pace of play. They like to run these kind of rush forward behind Damian Martinez, long, slow, methodical drives. Um, and I think that they're kind of going to be able to run the ball at will here against Wazoo, uh, who ranks outside the top 70 in defensive stuff rate uh, and outside of top 50 in havoc on both sides of the ball. But their wild card is uh, Cameron Ward is just a complete stud uh, can make plays out of nothing. And I think the key is going to be making sure that Oregon state can sustain their drives. And that's where the, you know, DJU making those blinded by the lights mistakes is really going to be the key. Um, if Oregon state can march down the field, kind of chew up some clock five, six yards of carry every time they hand it off and, um, you're doing your defense a massive, massive service by keeping Cameron Ward off the field, out of rhythm, and kind of cold every time he needs to come in and now reassess the looks on every play. Um, It's tough for an offense like Wazoo has to sit on the sidelines for a six, seven, eight-minute drive and then come in and just turn it on like that. Uh, So I think that for me, Oregon State, you know, minus three, uh, minus two and a half, um, uh, that's, that's definitely the play. Uh, and it's really just going to come down to whether or not DJU can just put together a serviceable or better performance. And if he can, uh, I think this is, this is a pretty clear Oregon state play here.
0: Yeah. I love what you, everything you brought there. I'm on Oregon state in this game. I think they can slow it down. Just like you said. I think they want to slow it down. I think they want to make this a grinder game, which is absolutely opposite of what Washington State wants to do. I just think Oregon State's defense is so much better than the Cougars' defense. I mean, I think it's clear cut. They're a lot better. I think Oregon State might have the second-best defense in the Pac-12 behind Utah. So I really like their defense. And, again, I think if, if DJU can kind of keep pace – can kind of hold the ball, not turn it over. They can get the running game going. Washington State didn't look terrible against the run against Wisconsin. So that uh, gives you a little bit hesitant hesitation there. But I think Oregon State, they're really getting the run game together there. I like your play here. I like the minus three Oregon State, but, yeah, I think if you can buy the hook, get down to down to two and a half, two points, I, I like that play. I'm probably on Oregon State uh, in this one as well. I think they have enough to go into Washington State and get this victory as a four, uh, the number 14 ranked team taking on the number 21. I just think – like you said, the pace of play is going to hurt Washington state's offense. And once it gets slowed down and it's basically like you said, it's been uh the ward show. I mean, it's, it's a or nothing right now for Washington state. So. Right. So I, I agree with you hundred percent on that one.
1: And I think one thing that is interesting, that is um, just, it's going to sound really bizarre to people that have followed college football for, for years, because, Wisconsin has always been known for this elite rushing and lean on the defense type of program with Paul Christ. but um, 31 points on a Wisconsin team that ranks outside the top hundred in every standard defensive metric uh, is it kind of lends more to the, like we're talking about here, right? Like if you expect them to just come in and turn it on after sitting on the bench cold for five to eight minutes um, against a defense, that's this good. You might be in for a rude awakening as a wazoo backer.
0: Let's talk about our last big game, at least on the national stage, and we'll get into some of our favorite picks and plays of the week. Notre Dame, Ohio State. A Notre Dame off to a phenomenal start. Sam Hartman transfer over from Wake Forest. They've looked really good. You you feel like you got a little of that nostalgia, Notre Dame back. Ohio State's been the opposite. People expect this team to be a high-flying, super-big-scoring team because they've just had so much offensive talent the last couple years, especially with the QB play. They've got off to a slow start offensively. They're still winning games. They're still dominating. They just aren't scoring the way that people have thought they should this year. I think this is going to be a really interesting game to see. One of these teams is going to take a massive step uh, in the right direction, whoever wins this game. Right now it's sitting at minus three over under 55 and a half. Kind of give me your thoughts on Notre Dame, Ohio state in this, uh, I think battle of the top 10 teams here.
1: Yeah. This one is going to be really, really fascinating because I think that like you're saying, right. Ohio state is known for these high flying offenses that we've seen the past several years. Um, but through three games so far, Kyle McCord has looked just perfectly. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's nothing mm-hmm. special. Yeah. He's not lighting it up. He's not, you know, the next iteration of the Ohio State quarterback, who might potentially go in the first round, like he's just not that player so far. Um, Sam Hartman has shown to be that player so far, um, so I, I wonder. And there is a definitive talent difference too. Um, I mean, Audric Estime is fantastic, but Travion Henderson is Travion Henderson. Maya Williams is still an absolute animal in the running in the run game for them. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr. and, uh, Agbuka are two of the best receivers in the country. So Ohio state definitely has the skill position talent difference, um, in their favor, but can Ohio state get off the field on third down because Notre Dame's third down defense, uh, is 15th in the country right now where OSU's, um, Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, other way around when Notre Dame has the ball Notre Dame's offense is 15th in the country in converting third down percentage where Ohio State's defense is currently ranked 90th. So um I don't think with the quarterback difference unless McCord takes a notable step up in the bright lights I don't know that Ohio State necessarily wants a shootout which means they're probably going to need to possess the ball for a little bit longer than they usually do in years past. Uh, and that's all going to come down to whether or not they can stop Hartman and company on third down. Uh, so I think that's going to be an interesting battle to watch.
0: Yeah, I, you, we talked about the Ohio State offense not kind of putting up. They've got 63 last week against Western Kentucky. Finally, like they're finally getting on their own. I think the one group that people are kind of ignoring and not talking about is the Ohio State defense. They've been phenomenal so far. Three points from Indiana, seven for Youngstown State. Western Kentucky, who everybody thinks as, you know, this offensive juggernaut only puts up 10 points against them. This Ohio State defense has really impressed me so far. And if they can hold uh, this Notre Dame offense, which has looked like you said, Sam Hartman has done everything you thought, you know, you would hope he was going to do, 64-90 and 1,061 yards and 13 touchdowns, zero interceptions for him. You know, he's the guy that went to Notre Dame thinking, hey, this is how I'm going to up my profile. This is how I'm going to get a shot at maybe get an NFL look. You know, he had a great career at West uh Wake, for, uh, Wake Forest, excuse me, great career for the uh, Demon Deacons, but just, you know, it's Wake Forest. You know, it's hard to get looked at in Wake Forest. So far, he's done everything you want at Notre Dame. If he can somehow lead Notre Dame, to a win over Ohio State, man, I I think this changes his stock big time, NFL-wise. And I think, I mean, that really will boost Notre Dame into the playoff contention with a win over Ohio State. I'm really excited about this game. This feels like, one of those just battles, like it's just gonna be back and forth and back and forth, and you're gonna get one big play, and then somebody's gonna make a huge defensive stop, and then they're gonna come back. I this game just has me excited. This feels like old school Midwest football, even though the offenses are a little bit better than that. Just pound the rock. I think both these defenses are really solid. I'm just really excited for this one, man. It's really hard for me. To, to take this game. I just don't – I almost want to just watch it and not have money on it because I just don't know where I want to go with it. I'm probably not betting this game, even though I'm going to watch it like crazy. Um, I could see Notre Dame pulling off the upset, but I feel like Ohio State has just slightly been under the radar, and I just feel like they're ready They're ready to like, put together – a big game on a big stage. They kind of just been working their way into it with a new QB. I feel like Ohio state wins this game. And that's like, like you said earlier, that's a total gut feeling. That's not a statistics. That's not a nothing on my side. I feel like Ohio state wins this game, but I feel like it's close. It just seems like it's going to be a battle. Um, Notre Dame still got USC coming later in the year. So this one would be a huge one if they can somehow upset Ohio State. But it it should be a barn burner.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think uh, something that's interesting here is, so if, uh, for any of the listeners, if you're one of those people who is decidedly, you know, Notre Dame's going to win this game, if that's, if that's your thought on this, if your book still has it open, I might run to put a little cheese on uh, Sam Hartman Heisman. Because a win here at home against a top Ohio State program with the numbers he's put up so far and with what the rest of their schedule looks like could vault him right up into the top three if he puts on a good performance against Ohio State. And right now, that line should be fairly low with some of the other uh, some of the other Heisman hopefuls performing the way they have. So I, I would think that that's, uh, that's something to look at if that's the way your mind is working.
0: That's a sneaky good bet because if he somehow pulls up this off upset and then they get USC here in a couple weeks, obviously we've seen in the past, Caleb Williams is almost going to have to do more than he did last year to win the Heisman again. That's just the way it works. But if he somehow won this game and won that game and Notre Dame makes the final four with the way things kind of work, they make the playoff. Oh man, that's got to put Hartman right at the top. uh, If he plays well in both those games. So I love that idea. Uh, getting down to about 14, 15 minutes left in the show. Let's jump on some of our favorite picks. You you started off. Give me some of your favorite plays this week, some stuff you're putting your actual hard-earned cash on, and then I'll jump into my JT Parlay play of the day.
1: Sounds good. So I'll, uh, I'll try to keep these explanations and breakdowns of these games brief while still being as informative as you need to be to understand why I'm taking it. First one I'm going with uh, and full disclosure on these these picks. so these are all in. Uh, lines have changed a little bit on most of these I've bought uh, bought a half point so uh, hence all of the you know minus 120 minus 130 as opposed to minus 110. But my first one's going to be Kentucky minus 13 and a half against uh, Vanderbilt in Nashville. I think that the thing with this is that Kentucky's offense has really been buzzing. They've played absolutely nobody, but that hasn't stopped them from going fifth in the country, 7.9 yards per play, 20th in the country, 9 yards per pass attempt, the highest explosive play rate in the country. Um, They're just moving the ball firing on all cylinders on offense right now. And with their new offensive coordinator, lack of Chris Rodriguez, they're throwing the ball at a 58% clip right now. Uh, Vanderbilt's defense ranks 94th in passing EPA per play and 116th in passing success rate allowed. Uh, And they're outside the top 100 in havoc, which means they don't get any pressure. They can't really cover well um, they're going to end up playing from behind and even if they wanted to try to slow the game down against FBS opponents this year, they're only rushing for 2.7 to carry. So I just really, really struggle to see how Vanderbilt does anything offensively to hang with this Kentucky offense that seems like it's hitting its stride early in the season. Uh, second one is going to be Texas Tech against West Virginia, uh, my, minus six, minus 120. Um, Texas Tech has already kind of been been tested a little bit. Um bad lo- maybe I wouldn't call it a bad loss but they probably should have beat Wyoming, but Wyoming's defense is a lot more sturdy than people give them credit for. It's a very solid program this year. Uh they hang within 8 points of Oregon, drop 30 on that defense. Uh Tyler Shuck and these guys can they can move the ball. They're a, traditional big 12 team where the offense is firing the defense leaves a lot to be desired the problem is um, if you can't take advantage of that you kind of can't hang with a team like that and west virginia is just brutal at moving the ball downfield right now um terrible deep ball rate terrible explosive play rate uh passing epa is down they rely heavily on their run game with cj donaldson uh and i just don't think you know, West Virginia's defense is good, sure, but we've seen them give up some points. Um, and, for example, Penn State, uh, Drew Allers, you know, is going to be probably a, a talked about commodity in next year's class. But right now, he's still young, first-year starter. Penn State can barely move the ball, not high in explosive plays, and they managed to put, you know, 30-plus on West Virginia. So I just, uh, I just think Texas Tech is going to get out ahead of it, and West Virginia is not going to be able to do enough to keep up. Um next one is uh we already broke it down, so no need to go into it. Uh Oregon State minus two and a half, minus one thirty. Um my next one on my card, uh North Carolina at Pittsburgh, minus seven, minus one twenty. And with this one, uh just plain and simply, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't blame anyone that wants to fade me on this given the number, because This just seems like a trap line. Uh, Analytically, statistically, these teams are so much further apart than minus seven. Um, The Pittsburgh offense is just bad. Um, Through three games, Phil Yurkovich is not even completing 50% of his passes. I think through three games, he's at something like uh, 47.6% completion rate. Um, Pitt's not exactly running the ball like they used to with some of their you know, ground and pound teams they had under Narduzzi in the past. And yeah, sure. It's still a pit defense, but when you look at the offense on the other side of the ball with a generational talent and Drake may uh, teams that have been able to, you know, really put it on people the last couple of seasons. Um, and their offense is a lot more balanced. Now Mario Hampton is brought that run game along to match the passing game of Drake may and, For me, um, really a big thing here is that I think that people view the North Carolina defense as significantly worse than it is. Their numbers are are very, very misleading because of that App State game. Um, So in two games against U.S., uh, South Carolina, sorry, University of South Carolina and Minnesota, they've given up less than 20 points, less than 350 yards a game. In the one single game against App State, 34 points, 494 yards, which is going to skew those numbers um, just a little bit and make people think that maybe it's the North Carolina defensive old when it just really isn't. They're uh, they're buzzing, getting pressure, covering well. Um, they can stop the run, so – uh i think that minus 7 is you know again if i go down with the ship i go down with the ship but minus 7 is a gift here um we already covered the oregon colorado game so minus 20 and a half minus 120 i'm on that and then uh, the last one on my card is uh and not all books allow this so um if your book doesn't have this option um then just fade this one, but I have a two-team teaser plus six points to the spread uh, on the noon games where I have Clemson plus eight and a half, and I took uh, Southern Methodist plus 12 and a half uh, against TCU. Um, And the big factor there for me is that, you know, as we saw in that Colorado Week 1 game and every game since TCU's defense is a dumpster fire right now, they cannot defend against explosive plays, Uh, which is something that uh, SMU does really well, 14th in the country in explosive play rate, Um, top 50 in uh, passing yards per attempt, top 25 in passing yards per game. Um, And what TCU has shown they want to try to do this season after losing all of the offensive talent from last year is to run the ball and try to clock control. They're uh, passing at below a 48% rate so far this season, 36th rushing offense, but again, uh, same thing with the with the Texas A and M breakdown, right? Like if if SMU can hit a couple of those shots early and get out to a lead and take uh, take Bailey and the run game out of it for TCU, I just don't see how they can get enough stops to to keep up.
0: Yeah, really love that UNC bet minus seven. The two team teaser. I am a teaser guy. I like to. Every once in a while, people forget about that. If you can jump in and do some teasers, I love that. I love teasing in the NFL because it's so much tighter. But teasing in college is big. I I think that Clemson, I think that Clemson Florida State game is going to be close. So I like the fact that you take that eight and a half and again, SMU, I think they stick with TCU in that. So I like that one. I'm going to throw up my JT parlay play of the day. A little reminder here. This is my Hail Mary. So sometimes people get on me. They're like, oh, you lost another one. I'm like, this is my Hail Mary bet. This is my (laughs) taking a plus 1500 plus 2000 plus 3500 bet. This is kind of my crazy bet. I'm going to run it across the bottom of the screen here. guys can take a look at it here. I'll run it down for you. This is a seven pick plus 3,553 on FanDuel. I literally put it in five minutes before we started the show. I was waiting until the last minute to see what kind of lines and odds I could get. So this one is fresh as it gets. Right now, I'm on UNLV minus two and a half at minus 110. They play UTEP this week. UTEP is terrible. UTEP got hammered by Northwestern, if that tells you anything. And I think Northwestern is one of the worst teams in the country. So I'm taking UNLV at minus two and a half. They just beat Vanderbilt, who's not a great team, but they're still an SEC team. I think it's a gift at minus two and a half. I'm all over UNLV on that one. Syracuse, minus 13 and a half at minus 114. It was at minus 110 at 14. I jumped all over to the second and moved to 13 and a half for that extra uh, minus four on that. I love it. They just went to Purdue and beat Purdue. I feel like this is a game they're going to win at home. Uh, it just it, it feels like blood. Garrett Schrader looked great last week. Ran the ball for almost two hundred yards and four touchdowns as a QB. LaQuint Allen has looked really good at running back this year, and the defense has been pretty solid. I love Syracuse at my team minus thirteen and a half in that one. And again, I'll I'll throw this out. Feel free to break these up into two or three team parlays and take a couple together. Don't always you don't never have to take all seven together. This is my Hail Mary. If you like some of these better than others, take one or two or three and pile them together and maybe take two or three different parlays. My other one is Coastal Carolina, Georgia State. Over 62 and a half. I took Georgia to cover Georgia State to cover week one, and I said I'd never do it again. After that, it's been I told everyone I'm taking the over every week on Georgia State. Ton of offense on this team. Absolutely no defense. Coastal Carolina, they're going to put up points. Grayson McCall is one of my sneaky quarterbacks I really, really like. He just uh, played an okay game, through two picks against UCLA in the opener. He's a guy who usually never turns the ball over. I think this is a scoring Outburst. I think both these teams pile up points. 62 and a half at minus 110. I'm taking the over in that game. I brought it up earlier. Oregon, Colorado, for every reason I said earlier, I'm taking the over in that game. I just think it's points on points on points. Uh 70 and a half at minus 110. Again, I said if you can get someone that will let you move it down to 69, I move it down to 69. I'm taking the 70-half here. A game that I think is an absolute shit show. Minnesota, Northwestern, big 10 debacle. You can't pay me to watch this game, but I'm betting the under 42. I think it's at like, depending on what book you look at, it's anywhere from 38 and a half to 39 right now. I bought the points and just got it to 42. I don't think there's any way these teams put up 42 points unless you get a ton of defensive scores. Minnesota's QB play looks horrendous. They've got good running backs. who can run the ball, but man, if they get up, two touchdowns they are just going to sit on this thing northwestern is bad 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 i'm taking the under 42 thank you for the gift usc minus 30 and a half i it's 34 and a half to 35 depending on the book here's my word with usc they're gonna score 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 i always worry about the backdoor cover with them because their defense is awful so if I'm buying points, if I can buy points, I'm buying points in USC. I bought it down to 30 and a half so they can win by 31 with a late cover because I've already got burned by them being up 38 or 40 and giving up some garbage late <laughs> touchdown that covers the 35. I've already got burnt, so I'm, I'm, I'm making adjustments. So I'm buying it down to 30 and a half, especially since it's in a parlay. It doesn't hurt me that much at minus 215. And then – I threw it in there. My confidence was great earlier. Now I'm not so much. I'm taking Florida state minus two and a half. I know this is the game that's going to burn me. I think my last five JT parlays, I think I'm five for six or four for five on all of them. I've missed them by one game every week. It's (laughs) killing me. So if I get burned in this one, I think it's the Florida state minus two and a half, but I took minus two and a half at minus minus one ten. So seven-pick parlay. I put half a unit on it. It's plus 3,553 on FanDuel right now. Again, that's my Hail Mary pick. Throw two bucks on it, five bucks on it. Don't get crazy if you don't have the money. Just do something nice and easy or pick two or three of those you like and take them. I want to thank James for joining me. Great show today. A lot of information, really good bets. Hit both of us up on the X. If you got questions on games or something you're wondering about or a game you think you might want to get on, hit us up. James, tell everybody where they can find you uh, going forward. They can see all this great information you got.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm a member of the Dynasty Pros team, so you can find my uh, written content and articles on the Dynasty Pros website. Uh if you want to hit me up on Twitter about any uh football or gambling related stuff my uh at is uh jgorel74 j g o r r e l l 74 um always love talking ball so don't don't uh, don't hesitate to send some thoughts my way.
0: Yeah, you can always find me at jc Orange on the X uh, all kinds of shows, Debbie show Monday and Thursday on DynastyProsFootball.com YouTube channel. Also, you can find me on the stew here doing college football NFL bets on my NFL show tomorrow. Make sure to check that one out 5 p.m., 5.30 Eastern, 4.30 Central Time. We'll have the NFL picks and bets. Thanks for joining us, guys. I appreciate James. Thanks for being here. May all the draft picks hit and the trading never quit. See you next time on the stew.